This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good morning, everybody. It's Western Day here on Horses in the Morning, and I am Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I am Tara Carter from Clovis, New Mexico, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for our October 24th episode, 1803. This episode is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. Good Tuesday morning to you, and I do mean a good Tuesday morning. Well, if you insist on being accurate about it. You know, only somebody with perfect comedic timing could produce this much energy in one shot. You gotta learn that your time in the saddle ain't as rough as a life in between. And the fence isn't there for you to straddle. And you can't change horses in the middle of your dream. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning. One of my favorite days. I can actually wear my cowboy hat today and and feel legitimate. (laughs) Uh, And also, I get to talk to my good friend, Tara. Hi, Tara. Hello. Good morning. It's good to have you on again. Now, uh, Tara has been having a week. Um, (laughs) How many children do you have again? About 85? Yeah, three. 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 That's right. She has three. And they all decided to get sick this week. Yes, it was one of those weeks, and Trevor, Trevor's been away teaching, and so we we had some fun. <laughs> oh, so it's mom duty alone. To please to tell me this wasn't throwing up and all of that. No, no, no. Just, okay, good. You know, it's not. <laughs> oh, good, good. <laughs> Lots yes. of that, <laughs> and they all get sick at the same time, don't they? They just pass it around like little. They do. Children, yes, yes, yeah. The uh, Philip, he's our middle son. I swear, there were moments where he would try to cough on his older brother so <laughs> that, that that was real helpful <laughs> you're not sick i'm gonna get you sick and yeah. i had three brothers i think we might have done a little of that too because you don't yeah. want to be miserable by yourself yeah <laughs> yeah that's right it usually was that like william would take one of his toys or something and philip would go over and you know give me that back <laughs> show <Great>. you <laughs> so how's how's mom doing mom hanging in there Good. Yes, yeah. all is good. Okay. Trevor's mom came down and uh, she, <clears throat> excuse me, she hung out with us for a few days, so that was fun too. Oh, just the time when grandma's <laughs> needed. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> well, I'm glad you survived. Uh, and Jennifer, what is coming up? We have a jam-packed show. We have a lot of guests today. Going to be very busy because on today's Western with Tara episode, brought to you by Horseware, Ellis Farrell stops by, and he's going to tell us about the Fletcher Street Urban Riding Club, where they're bringing Western to the East, because it's in Philadelphia. And then Cowgirl in the Kitchen, Jill Stanford, our favorite, has a turkey recipe that's, well, that's really timely. easy. And then, yeah. and timely. And then Monica Catano makes an appearance, and she's going to enlighten us about my new favorite Western discipline, discipline reined cow horse event. Totally fun. You got to YouTube it. And to top off our adventure, <laughs> Laura Rogers stops by, and she's going to talk marketing. So stay tuned for the fray, folks. Thank you very much, Jennifer. Well, it is time for I Have a Daily Winnie. Do you have a Daily Winnie? 
I do. Okay, good. Well, happy birthday to my good podcasting friend, Diane Daniels, and uh, some of you will know her name. She has been on our show before. She's the New Yorker that stopped by one day and joined us on Horses in the Morning with a very Brooklyn accent. And she's also, when I do keynote speeches at PodFest every year, she opens for me and gets the crowd all riled up, and then I sound like I'm boring after she's done. <laughs> so that's Diane's job. She she gets everybody all riled up, and she's really good at it. And also, to one of our longtime sponsors, he's been sponsoring the eventing radio show with Bitter Britain for, I don't know, seven years? Uh, and that's John Nunn, owner of Bitter Britain. We used to work for John years ago. So happy birthday to John. Okay, happy your birthday. turn. <laughs> My Daily Winnie is also a happy birthday, and that goes out to Trevor. Today's his birthday. Is so. it Trevor's birthday? Is it he is, home? yeah. He is. Well, then we have <laughs> So, do you have big plans? Uh, he's home with sick children. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> well. We got, we all got well just in time. Okay, good. Uh, good. Yes, for sure. We're going to have prime rib and a German chocolate cake. And so. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, I'm coming nice. to your house for. I know. Birthday. Sounds good to me. <laughs> well, happy birthday. Well, you know, uh, we're going to talk a little later. We were talking before the show, and we're going to talk a little later to a guest about something called the Snaffle Bit Futurity. And I said, I bet you us, most of us English writers have no idea what that is, but we've heard the term. We just don't kind of know what it is. So I wanted to ask you about that before we got started with our first guest today. So what is a Snaffle Bit Futurity? Well, the best way that I can describe first is is that it's a reined cow horse event. And I like to say that it's like the three-day eventing of the Western world. And the three events that you have to do, there are there's cutting. And so that's where you you know you have a herd of cows and you have to ride in, you select one and you take it out and you have to hold it away from the herd and ideally in a certain position. So that's the first event. And then the second event is that you have to have reining. And so most folks are familiar with reining, where you have certain types of circles and speed changes and lead changes and stops and spins. And then you have what they call cow working, which includes a thing called down the fence. So that's like the cross-country element as far as the excitement and danger level. And so you come in, you come into the arena just by yourself, and they there's a you know, holding pen of cows at the back of the arena, and you, you wait for them to send your cow in, and they send a single cow in. And you show that you can have some control of that animal on the end of the arena. And when the cow, you show that your horse can sort of maneuver it and keep it in control. Then you take it down the fence and you take it down the long side of the arena and you try to go as quickly as you can and you have to drive it past a certain marker and you have to get really close and turn it. And then you have to run back with it down the other end and past a certain marker and then turn it. And then you have to drive it into the middle of the arena and you have to do a figure of eight. You have to get the cow to do a figure of eight. What? So, 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, we've owned cows that have gotten loose. Yeah. <laughs> and trying to get them to do anything. Yeah. I, I swear, I, I almost shot the cows in the field the one day. It took us four hours to get those cows back. And we had horses and four-wheelers. I, I, and that was only two cows. I don't know how you do that. There comes a point where you should just reset. If it's going four hours, you just go, you know what? Let's go, let's go have a beer. Let's come back. <laughs> um, they so, are not the most cooperative creatures. That's right. They they can be and they cannot be. So <laughs> the snaffle bit futurity, what it is, is these are horses that basically it's their first time to town. So ring cow horse, it tends to follow the bridal horse tradition, which you go from snaffle to hackamore to two rein and then to bridle, straight up in the bridle. So this is like those horses that are in the snaffle stage, which is the very first stage. So they're coming to town. So they're the rookies. They're the rookies. Okay. Exactly. So that's what the snaffle bit futurity is. It's kind of the up-and-coming horses. So you could get some really funny moments with the, the, these in the ring. Oh, yeah. Well, with all of them. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. You know, they're so they're so committed to their job is kind of what I see. But there are definitely moments where it gets unpredictable for any age horse. <laughs> <laughs> So I just had a question. I for... love watching when the cow wins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes yeah. the cow wins. Yeah, and then and that's usually when the judge blows the whistle and they say new cow. <laughs> right. Reset. And then and then about four guys come in to get that one cow out of the arena, and then you get to try again by yourself. <laughs> so now, do you? So with this, obviously, you have to practice with cows. So every, everybody in here have their own cows. Do they go to? Places that have cows, how do you practice? Yes, you definitely have to have cows, but there's a lot of things that people do. So there's two tools in particular that Trevor uses and some other guys use, and that's a flag. So you've seen a flag that's it's strung on uh, string, and they use a remote control that takes that cat that flag back and forth along the fence. <coughs> And so that is what they use as to simulate the cow or to the you know to simulate the moves that the cow makes either in the cutting event or in the cow horse event when you have to first show control on the on the end of the arena. So there's that. So that that's a whole lot less expensive than cows all yeah, the time. Yeah, because don't cows get kind of sour or and or just broke? You know, they yes. they know their job. <laughs> I'm supposed to go to the middle now. I'm just going to go to the middle to save the hassle. Yes, or they start to know that they can outmaneuver your horse and so they just sort of know that move and they use it every time and then uh, your horse starts to lose confidence and so we don't so, like smart cows yeah <laughs> well fresh, <laughs> fresh cows we like fresh cows <laughs> so people use the flag and then they have that flag there's one setup one company that actually takes that that flag and then you can take it down the fence so you can go along and one of the nice things about the flag is if your horse isn't in a really athletic position or isn't super correct then you can you don't have to tell the cow. Now hold on just a minute. We gotta have we gotta work on this. <laughs> yeah, I gotta I gotta the, practice this I, over here. We just stand still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I really need you to go to the right a little bit more. So <laughs> this way you can you can maneuver the th- type of maneuvers that you need your horse to work on more consistently, and then you go and basically okay, test it. Okay, is on the, the guy with the remote control also the rider or is there a separate guy? Yes. Yes, which is a whole new level. So okay, so now I gotta play well. a video game while I'm riding and training my horse. Yes, that's right. 
there's definitely times where I mean, and they some you know the really fancy ones you can program them right. So they you know they do two right you know not two rights, but they go slow and fast, and you know they they run basically a set of maneuvers. So you can do that. But I've definitely seen my fair share of times where you know that somebody's riding a horse and they accidentally push the button and the flag goes off the end pulley and stuff like that. So <laughs> there's it's not without excitement. So now which, which is, you know, okay, so your raining is your dressage, like you're comparing with the three-day eventing. So your raining's like your dressage. And then the single cow work is more like probably, is more like our show jumping. So which, right. which is the most difficult of the phases? So the most predictable is the raining, right? right? Because there's no... Because you can train for no, that, right. Exactly. There's there's no variable element. And so the but the most difficult would be like when I say when I think of cross country, I mean I think that's the most dangerous, the most difficult, and that's definitely it's down the fence. The cow working part, not the cutting, but the cow working, which is where you take the cow down the fence. And it can get dangerous. Like you'll see horses flip over cows and and riders, of course, and so and the turn is the turn is pretty sharp, and sometimes the horse and the cow go left, and the rider goes right, and it's just because of the sheer sheer momentum. So I'll have to send you guys a video. You could share it on the on the Facebook page. Yeah. And the lady the lady comes off of her horse on the fence when they're turning it down the fence, and the horse knows its job so well, it goes and finishes the run. It circles the cow <laughs> on its own. It's amazing. Do you get points for that? Or yeah, yeah. probably not. <laughs> Now, is this a judged event? It'd have to it be, is. I guess. Yeah. Yes. All yes. parts of it are judged, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You have a time element, right? Like you only have two and a half minutes for your cutting and um, you have a limited time for your cow work. So you have to do it within a certain time, but that's not. So is it like cross country? Factor. If you fall off, you you can't get back, you're done? Or can you get back on? You cannot get back on. So you fall off, you're done. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And you've done this? You've competed? I have. Yes, I have. So are there... Oh, I just got a, a listener question from Justin who is asking... Okay, she's asking, are there any other breeds than quarter horses that do this? So all breeds can do it. You mostly see quarter horses in paint. Um, you'll see some of like the Spanish type horses, you know, Lusitanos and Andalusians. You'll see them do it. But that's more... But you'd you'd have to go to the NRCHA. They're an all breed, so you, any any breed can show. But if you were to say, "Oh, I want to go to the quarter horse <laughs> cow horse event or paint horse cow horse event," then that has to be breed specific. But technically, it's an all breed sport. So, but and it's not the fact you that you tend to see quarter horse and paints. Quarter horses and paints, obviously, because they're yes. they're what you usually see with cow horses anyway, right? Right. Right. So. Well, that's very interesting. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to learn more about that because we have one of the competitors that was just at one of the, the big competitions, right? Later on in the show. Right. At, right. at the Snaffle Bid, and she made the open finals, which is like, if you make the open finals, it's sort of who gets the best cow is going to be the winner, usually. <laughs> and and uh, there aren't a lot of females that do this at this point. There, there aren't. There are more and more all the time, of course, but... Uh, so yeah, there were two that made it back to the finals, Sarah Dawson, which we all know and love, yeah, and Monica Caetano. So 
Yeah. Very cool. Well, let's go to our first guest. This is a story that I think if you're in the horse world, you've seen this story over the years about the Fletcher Street Urban Riding Club in Philadelphia. And uh, and I know uh, several years ago, we actually covered this story on Horses in the Morning when they were having a run-in with, uh, with, with uh, one of the animal rights organizations, and then it turned out to be to be just a, a witch hunt, and I want, I'm so glad that we, we have Ellis on, who is one of the guys that has been around for a long time with Fletcher Street, and this Fletcher Street Urban Riding Club in Philadelphia has operated for over 100 years, and its uh, job is to really keep kids out of trouble, giving something to do with horses, and we all know the benefit of having horses. Good morning, Ellis. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm glad we got you on. Thank you. Well, we, as I said, we've been covering this for years, and I remember a long time ago, you guys have been around forever. You've had horses in the city there forever. And this is in the, the Strawberry Mansion area. I grew up actually outside of Philadelphia, so I know it, but kind of describe the Strawberry Mansion area of Philadelphia and, and what that's like. Uh, uh, well, I grew up in Strawberry Mansion. Well, not grew up. Well, yes, I did. I grew up uh, right up the street on Diamond Street, 29th and Diamond. And the, uh, the horses and stuff we was, we used to rent horses out in the park. It used to be a place called Jack Siegel's. And we had a Fletcher Street. We had a lot of horses there and a lot of kids. And everybody grew up, you know, grew up there, and now they're all gone, and we are trying to uh, keep it going, because it's like urban uh, horses in the, in the city, and we have been doing it for hundreds, about a, a hundred years, because where we are, but well, we've been trying to research it, it used to be Tasty Cake. I think everybody heard Tasty Cake. They used to have their horse, some horses in in the in the area. I mean, in that barn where we are now. Yeah. And it's been a barn there. It's been a barn that we were trying to research it to see if it's really true. Because we used to. Oh, that's we, very you know, cool. Go down there, and they used to. They yeah, would... We, we would like to know because we want to know if it's like a historical area site. And, you know, what I've been doing it, working, I've been doing it because we're working with the uh, kids and all the kids that I grew, that I raised, they have grown now and they have their own kids and some of them have their kids, their grand, grandparents. And, we, you know, we do everything we can to try to keep the kids out of, out of uh, so they have something to do and keep them out of trouble because in the city, there's uh, the, there's hardly anything for them to do. And we it's be right in the park and uh Penny uh, no Fairmont Park. And we ride you can ride right in the park and Pennsylvania's like a farm street. So you can go any place with the horses and we have the kids all be all be all over the park and all over the city. And people see horses and see the kids with the horses can't believe it. They think we uh, bring them in from the country and bring them in to ride. But uh, we keep a lot of them out of trouble. Well, and, I was gonna... But most of them, 
I was going to say, yeah. I was going to say, you know, there were a lot, even in New York City, there were, and all the cities actually in the country, there were a lot of stables up until the 30s, 40s, and 50s. People don't realize there were many stables in the city still left from, and of course they were left from the time when we used horses, and that's probably why Tasty Cake had horses there. They were probably used for pulling at that point in deliveries. Uh, deliveries, yes. And... We the guys used to it used to be the, the older guys, but they're all gone now. They used to have what they call call hostels. They would pull fruits and vegetables and sell them in the city. And I know when I was growing up, right there on Diamond Street, they had the city had uh, horses pulling the, the the coal wagons, and we would have to sit out coal because everybody heated the the house with coal and got to get, get the ashes out. And that's one of the things I used to have to do. And it, it was, you know, but but now in New, well, New York, I think they're trying to get rid of the horses yeah. there. Yep. And Philadelphia, I think they're trying to get rid of horses here. They're trying to, uh, there's what they call a grandfather's law, where, if you, you know, if it's been a stable for a long time and horses, you can keep the horses there. And I think they're trying to pass a law to get rid of that now here in Philadelphia. Uh, I heard that through people talking and some politicians. I heard, uh, you know, they was trying to get rid of it, try to get rid of the horses. But there are some people that sh- that have horses that shouldn't have them. But uh, we take good care. Of, they're our pets. And if the uh, horses, are, like to me, <coughs> excuse me, horses to me are, are like therapy. And uh, it keeps me going. They're keeping the kids going because the horses, they, they, if the you know they have to take care of them, it teaches them respect because they have to re- respect the horses. And by them respecting the horses, that makes them respect themselves. And if they respect themselves, you're trying to get them to respect the elders, you know, the older people. And but if they do that, that got to keep keep them out of trouble. And now we they have a, a whole new group of kids they're there but they can't come until after school mm-hmm. you know after when they get out of school and they're they're there and if they're there they're not on the corners or doing anything to get into uh, get in trouble they're just they're just around the uh, horses and that's what we're trying to do to keep them so for some for someone to to come and come to the the riding club do they just have to show up or do you have certain days that they can come or like, how does, if someone says, Oh, I want, you know, they want to come to the riding club. How do they get to, to get started with you guys? Well, see the, the, the riding club, we, me, my, cause I have the, the Fletcher street urban riding club. I'm the president of that. And there's uh, all the horses are on Fletcher street. And the people used to be in the club, but they, you know, a lot of them got out of the club. And we have, we have, uh, we had land donated to us to put uh, stalls there. But uh, we're having a problem getting a permit to build the stalls. So I have horses up in Pennypack Park, and I have them up in Germantown. And you don't have to if you want to learn if you want to learn how to ride. You have to contact me and get in contact with me. And I, 
I, all I want you to do, all I want to do is teach you how to teach kids to how to ride and keep them out of trouble. And I'll teach anybody that wants to learn how to ride. I'll teach them. And, you know, it's just giving me something to do to keep me young because I'm 78 years old. So I'm trying to keep, keep myself going. And if they want to donate something like buy, help buy feed and hay, it's all right. And if they don't, I still teach them. And all they have to do is come and let me know and I can take, take them and, and uh, show them how to ride, teach them how to ride. Well, so you don't have to do anything. Just, have you seen Have you seen the number of kids interested in the horses drop off, or are there still a, a lot of kids interested? No, uh, no, we had a lot drop off because we didn't have the horses. We didn't have the space for the horses because the city they uh, they so they took the land where we had where kids used to ride in. But now they're letting us use it again. And so now the kids are coming back. We have a, it's a group coming back now. And uh, so they're starting to pick back up. And the, the kids in the community, they're coming. But uh, we don't have the, the, the people that have the horses down there now. You know, they're private horses. I'm the only one that has horses that I let the kids ride. Okay. And try to teach them how to ride. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's that. You know, that's the way that I do with the club. Because uh, I'm trying to get kids back into the club and get them interested in the horses. Where, because I love them, and I want them to love them too. Where can people find out more information? Where can they go? Uh, they can go online. They can go online and and uh, pull up. Uh, Fletcher Street. Oh yeah, and and it, it gives you a. Uh, yeah, and it gives I see you a on lot fe- of information on Fletcher Street. Yeah, and I see on your face you have a Facebook page too. It's Fletcher Fletcher Street Urban Riding Club. We'll post a link to that in our on our Facebook page as well, and put it in our show notes. Ellis, good luck with your project. I think what you're doing is great. And, you know, we all know the value of horses. We all have them. And I'm glad that you're still trying to keep that alive in Philadelphia. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, I had 23 at one time, but I retired, so I can't Ooh. afford them. Yeah, that's a lot of horses for anybody. So I, had get, I had to get, <laughs> get break down. Yeah. But, I just bought them because the kids see them. We go to the auction and, like, save them from uh, being uh, sold to the uh, meat people. Yeah. Well, good luck, Alice. And I would buy them. Keep it up. Thank you. All right. Thanks a bunch. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. You know, uh, I know which auction he goes to, too, in New Holland, So, uh, and that is a meat auction, so I'm, I'm glad that he did that as well. But, you know, at least there's somebody trying to keep horses alive in a city. I mean, not yeah. physically alive, but in people's minds and hearts, right? Right, yeah. Um, well, let's do it. take a break for horseware, and then we're coming back with our recipe. We have Jill Stanford with us, and she'll be back with us. And she has a very timely recipe for November. <laughs> well, I'm here with Catherine from Horseware. We are at the trade show, and I asked her a question. Horseware is really known for blankets and really well-known, and we use them all the time on the English side. But what do you have that fits that hard-to-fit you know, quarter horse, the western quarter horse. 
our top seller into the Western market is our Bravo 12 Plus Medium. And the medium weight is a 250 gram fill. It comes with a hood that is detachable. Um, and it's a 1200 denier material. So I know that one of the things that's really important on the Western side is to have the hood too. And I, the no hood- No fuzzy necks, please. No fuzzy necks, that's right. And the hood kind of attaches in a different way than most hoods. This is pretty cool. The hood attachment is to minimize any sort of rubbing. So the hook is on the inside of the rug and then the attachment on the hood is a Velcro. Easy no off, snaps. Off, no, no snaps, snaps. right. No snaps. So it eliminates the rubbing on the eliminates neck. eliminates rubbing. And it, it's so important to actually keep that neck covered. Um, you spend so much time trying to put condition on that neck. It's a huge, big muscle. And during the colder weather, you're defeating the purpose of having put that, put that effort into maintaining that muscle if you don't have the hood on. Very good. And of course, it has the quality. And that's why I wanted to bring this up because horseware has such quality, lasts such a long time that I'm really glad to see there's something for the Western market now with that quality. Absolutely. Our, our pattern is fantastic. The fit, the functionality, it, our blankets. And it just lasts a long time. It does. Yeah, <laughs> it does. And the other beauty with our rugs, they are actually crafted so that they don't need leg straps. So when you look at the graphics that we have in our magazines or on our website, you'll see horses at standing, um, trotting, galloping, um, and the, horse, the blanket is designed so that it stays in place and there's no slippage. Very good. Glenn loves that there's no leg straps. I love that. Yes. Horse husband approved. So now where can people find out more about the uh, horseware line of blanket? We have a website that gives a comprehensive um, information on all the sizes, colors, um, and options that are available, and that is horseware.com. And it also ha yeah, it makes it really easy to find out your size and to do all of that on there. I've been on there many times. Horseware.com. And we appreciate Horseware's continued support of Horses in the Morning. You can find more information out at their Facebook page. Just search for Horseware. Well, next, one of our regular guests. She stops by every month. Her name is Jill Stanford. She has written many books. One of them is Cowgirl in the Kitchen. Another one is The Cowgirl's Cookbook. And she stops by with a recipe every month. And this one is very timely. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, and I'd like to say I wish in the old days when I had horses, I would have loved to have had blankets with no leg straps. I know. Wow. <laughs> that, you know, I put, next to sliced bread, I think that might be the greatest invention in the 20th century. Oh, I hated leg straps. Hated them. I did, too. I, I did, too. For I, so I, many reasons. Yeah, horse husbands do not like... For a lot of reasons. And yeah. last winter, I would have liked to have been wrapped in one of their... Horse blankets with the hood. It really <laughs> sounds warm and cozy. Yeah, Jill lives in the great northwest where it gets chilly. So, oh, yeah. four feet of snow last year. Not going to happen this year. How is everybody this morning? Good morning, Tara. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Jill. <laughs> so, Jill, it's let me ask you a question before we home. get into your recipe. Okay. I have a question for you. <clears throat> so, now, you're a cookbook author, many cookbooks. And I... So, let me... Please don't pop my bubble... At Thanksgiving, do you have like this lavish spread that you spend three days getting together, or do you just go out and like to Boston Market and buy the prepackaged thing and not have to cook anything? No, I have to admit that I really do like to pull out all the stops for Thanksgiving. However, I don't spend three days at it. That would be, um, no, I've got other things to do. But Thanksgiving <laughs> is always something that I really do like to do. It's I have always liked it. My mother did it 
I've always done it. I no, I don't go to Boston Market. I <laughs> I buy everything fresh. Um, I do make the cranberry sauce, which you're going to hear about uh, today, and I've put it as a bonus recipe. It's not in the cookbook. We're constantly coming up with new things. So we've come up with a new recipe for cranberry sauce that we think is pretty sensational, and I think that um, I think everybody should put a little effort into Thanksgiving because that's our time to be with family and friends and be thankful and and you can show your love and respect by by actually cooking. However, this recipe is done in a slow cooker. So so you see that cut down on quite a bit of time. What? You're not all having to open the oven door and basting all the time. Well, I got to tell you, I we you know, we've been using our instant pot. We got an instant pot. Do you have one yet, Tara? I do. Yes, yeah, right. I have one. I it, can't say that I use it all that often, but I have one. Yeah, we use it all the time. And I so anytime I see slow cooker, we, with any slow cooker recipe, you can also use your Instant Pot under the pressure to cook right. it faster, and it comes out really good. So when I saw that you were going to do a slow cooker, slow cooker turkey breast, I said, well, I could do that in the Instant Pot, too, uh, either slow yes, cooking or, or under pressure. So... Tell us this recipe. I'm really excited to hear about the slow cooker turkey breast. Okay. I was, um, I've started out by saying that if you haven't discovered a turkey breast instead of an entire turkey, then I hope that you'll remember this for the next time if you've already gotten your turkey and it's in the freezer. But, you know, really do think about getting the turkey breast. There are no legs or wings to deal with unless you absolutely have to make the soup following Thanksgiving. There's always a little bit of dark meat on the sides. I don't think that I'll ever do a whole turkey again. Both my sister and I have cooked this in our slow cookers, and both of us had turkey leftovers that were moist, and they were great for the leftover turkey sandwiches the next day. You're on your own for the stuffing, but you can make that and put it in a casserole and bake that in the oven. And again, no basting. So here's what you're going to do for four to six people. You're going to need a five to six pound bone-in skin-on turkey breast, a half a cup of rough chopped onion, a half a cup of rough chopped celery, a quarter cup of rough chopped carrots, some olive oil, a teaspoon of sage, a teaspoon of marjoram, a teaspoon of thyme, a teaspoon of salt, and a half a teaspoon of black pepper, and a little tiny bit of paprika, about a half to one teaspoon, which that ought to do it. Spray the inside of your oblong, it has to be the oblong one, slow cooker with non-stick cooking spray. You put the rough cut vegetables in the bottom of the pot. Combine the sage, the marjoram, the thyme, the salt, pepper, and practice paprika in a small bowl. You unwrap the turkey, wash it, and pat it dry. Rub the turkey breast completely with olive oil, and then you rub the herbs and the salt on the breast. Place the breast skin side up on top of the vegetables. The vegetables have been arranged so that the top fits on snugly. Turn the cooker on high and cook for one hour, and then turn it down to low and cook for another five to six hours or until the breast meat at its thickest part measures 165 degrees on a meat cooker. When it is done, let it cool slightly 
and take it out and put it on a cookie sheet to brown and crisp the skin under the broiler. Watch out, this happens very quickly because you've preheated the broiler. Strain the juices to make the gravy or simply serve the juices with the turkey. I save the vegetables for the soup the next day because there is enough to dice and you know, turn into a soup. Now here's the bonus. Cowgirls maple syrup cranberry sauce. Hold on one second, Jill. I, mean, I have really? a question. I have a question. Okay. So okay, usually when you cook vegetables like this, so it's interesting you said about using the vegetables in soup, because usually when you cook vegetables like this in a slow cooker, they're trashed by the time you, you don't even, a lot of times you don't even eat them if they've been cooking that long because they're just yeah. mush, right? <laughs> they're, and they, they just don't taste good. So are you saying that in this case, the vegetables are still Okay. They're still okay. They're not, uh, they're not completely intact, of course, yeah. because they've been cooking. But they've also been absorbing all that good turkey juice. So it works in, works in your soup. Really and truly yeah. it does. Well, you know what would happen, Tara, though, if they were on a cooking show? And I know you probably watch a cooking channel a few times. They would take all those vegetables and they would puree them because they seem to puree everything on yeah. cooking shows. And they make sauces out of them. And they would take all these vegetables and puree them and make a sauce oh. out of them. See, that's what that they would do. Sense. Right, Jennifer? Isn't I, that what they would do? That's I, <laughs> I like the soup <laughs> option. I don't like crunchy do. veggies in a soup, and that sounds yeah. just yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. And you can do that. You can blend them, put them in the puree. You can do that, put them in whole, make your soup. I mean, cowgirl cooking, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat it again. Cowgirl cooking is taking a recipe and making it your own. If you want to make it very elaborate, like... You know, hitching your own um, horsehair <laughs> head stall, you're more than welcome to do that. Or okay, everybody who's done that, raise their it. hand. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, there's yeah. somewhere somebody's raising their yeah, hand. Yeah, one, 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 one lady's out there with their hand up. <laughs> I know. But, or you can just, you know, a simple head stall. But you can make it as simple as you want or as elaborate as you want. And that's what I always hope for, that people will read the recipe and think, well, you know, I don't think, I, don't, I really would rather do, and I hope that they do. And some people have been writing me on my Facebook, the Cowgirl in the Kitchen page, about some of their changes, and they're really good. And, I'm, and I congratulate them every time because they're a little <laughs> bit nervous. I think the thing that I hope that's okay. I think the thing that makes this work and is an important key to this is the bone-in skin-on turkey breast because I think if you if you went with the boneless, it would you it would dry out quicker. That's right, and this does stay moist, and it's it's absolutely wonderful. So here's the bonus: cowgirls maple syrup cranberry sauce. And I'm sending a shout-out to cowgirl Charmaine Murray. She's listening this morning, and she is one of the people who helped with the book. She did at least 10 of the recipes and photographed them in the book, and she was just out here last month for a week enjoying Central Oregon. I know she's listening this morning, and uh, she liked the idea of this cranberry sauce very much. I think Pendleton needs to hire me as their (laughs) PR person. (laughs) So here's how you make it. You're going to need one cup of water. You're going to need one cup of the best maple syrup that you can find. And may I suggest, I don't do this very often, but boy, I'll tell you, this is good. I learned this from another cowgirl, Longhorn Sugar Shack. You can find them by contacting one word, Carter Sky, 
at Zoom Internet Net. He's in Ohio, and that's also on the posting I put in the on my Facebook page. <clears throat> it's the purest, best maple syrup that I've ever had. I, I don't know what he does to it, except grow extraordinarily good trees. Then you're going to need one 12-ounce bag of fresh cranberries, one tablespoon of brown sugar, and be sure you've packed it onto the tablespoon, not just light, one teaspoon of fresh lemon juice, and one tablespoon of Pendleton whiskey. Of course. <laughs> make it just yeah, natural. Why not? Let's I do it. About that. And why not? Combine the water and the maple syrup in a saucepan, bring it to a boil, add the cranberries to the syrup mixture, cook at a low boil until the berries pop, about 10 to 15 minutes, or mine always take less than that. Stir in the brown sugar and the lemon juice into the cranberries until the brown sugar is completely dissolved. Then you add the whiskey. It's optional, of course. You don't have to put the whiskey in. But it does add a nice little, um, how should I say, a nice little tang to the whole thing. And people will say, this is the best cranberry sauce I've ever had. I served this to somebody when I came up with this. I served it to somebody, and it happened to be 101 degrees outside. It was really hot. And I said, do you want a garnish of some cranberry sauce? Because I had some uh, cold deli turkey. We made turkey sandwiches. And I said, do you want cranberry sauce? And he said, well, yes. And he took a bite, and he said, what is this cranberry sauce? And I wasn't sure if he liked it or not. And I said, well, it's it's a new recipe. I've tried something. It's the same old recipe, but there's a couple of new things in it. And he said, this is absolutely wonderful. Oh, thank God. Yeah. (laughs) I'm afraid I'm going to shovel the whole thing down the sink. So there you go. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And I hope everybody will jump on that Facebook page. And write me what they do for Thanksgiving. I'd really like to know. Well, Tara, do you have you any know, things? Like well, we can't, we can't end Tradi- there. Hold on one second, well, I, Jill. Traditions. Yeah, do you have any traditions, Tara? Any food tradition for Thanksgiving? Well, yeah, so we have, like, I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of cranberry sauce. But Trevor, like, if I tried to make this, which I will, but I'm not going to serve it. For Trevor, because he likes it out of the can. Me too. I confess, I don't like the can, other anything but the canned. Like, wants to make sure it has the the lines. It has to have the lines. Yep. On it. Yeah. So, and, and we have a disagreement about um, stuffing, and I think that's sort of like a cilantro thing, right? People either like cilantro or you don't like cilantro. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't and, like cilantro. See, <laughs> and some people do. So there's this this. I think there's cornbread. Stuffing yep. and there's bread stuffing, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm a bread stuffing fan, and Trevor's a bread stuffing fan, and he likes it in the turkey, and I like it outside in the casserole dish. So, oh, there's another def- argument about stuffing too in our household. Matters. Jennifer's oh, really? Jennifer's mom makes stuffing, and she puts raisins in it, and Jennifer loves raisins in the stuffing, and her mom loves. Ugh, just, uh, there, yeah, there's raisins. a place for raisins, <laughs> and it ain't in stuffing. I'm just saying. <laughs> Yeah. Isn't this fascinating to hear all these pros and cons and all we're doing is having one dinner. <laughs> Everybody's on different sides of the fence. I'm over and there picking like, the raisins out one by one. I feel like it's this the, deep-rooted, like, you, what do you mean you do your stuffing yeah. that way? What I think you, it's what you grow up with, right? 
It's yeah, what you grew up it's with. Like time yeah. this really important time with your family, and don't be changing that. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there's this the, this proliferation of customized meal plans you can buy online. Yeah. Somebody needs to start one for holiday dinners, and you go online, and each member of the family orders their own <laughs> yeah, <that's> personal <laughs> Thanksgiving I, dinner. Jennifer, and that's that way, you all, there's no arguments. It will just completely yeah. eliminate arguments at Thanksgiving. That's brilliant. <laughs> Can't you see yeah. the list now? Mm. And particularly on the cranberry sauce, that just broke me. <laughs> Is it going to be, you, uh, pick one, fresh, canned, uh, solid, or canned, um, you know, jelly. whole berry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, jelly. Yeah. And it could go right down the line, you know, with everything. Sugar added, not sugar added. Yeah. yeah. I can stuffing tell you. Stuffing with oysters, stuffing with raisins, stuffing yeah. with nuts, stuffing with cornbread, stuffing with not cornbread, <laughs> stuffing that's gluten-free, oh. stuffing that's in the bird, stuffing that's not in oh, the bird. My, my uh, mom used to. There's not even oh, going to be cute. oyster stuffing. No, no oyster stuffing. Thank you very much. <laughs> my mom used to. You know, they do that in Seattle. They do. Oh, oysters? That's something yeah, they do in Seattle. Yeah, I think Oyster they do that in New stuffing. England, too. Yeah. I can yeah, tell you one very thing big. that we all agree on, though. I have not found anyone who disagrees on deviled eggs. Oh, yeah. I love deviled I eggs. I love deviled eggs. Yeah. Yeah, see? Everyone. And like we just we make them, and now we just eat them before Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's like, right. Every, everyone's always sneaking them. And so by the time you bring them out to the table, there's like 12 <laughs> holes on the plate. So we just everybody just eats them now. We just stick them out. And that's one of the things that kids will actually, no matter what age, they'll eat a deviled egg. <laughs> right? That's right. I, they do That's eat double right. And I bet you Jill has a recipe that puts whiskey in them too. I bet you she does. Ooh, no, yeah, I haven't I haven't eat. gotten that far. <laughs> There's not enough left by the time it's I know. I, I, I better get busy. I better get busy. That's you know something that I should do. But I think that um everybody can agree on either pumpkin pie or apple pie for dessert. Yes. I think we agree on pumpkin pie. We agree on pumpkin pie. Whipped cream or no whipped cream and well, it has Stuff to be whipped like cream. That. But it, that's why I think Thanksgiving is a very just special holiday, because you really do have to tailor-make it to your very own taste. I can tell you one thing Robin does that I don't do, and we grew up with this tradition, but she continues to do it, and that is the small dish with the celery, the carrots, and the olives, black olives. On the table. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, black because olives especially. My, my, all my brothers and I ate black olives. Um, we ate cans of black olives. I mean, I have one brother, get this, you guys them. are going to love this. I have one brother, my <laughs> older brother, who will drink the juice. Ew. Yes. Ish. That's gross. <laughs> no way. Now, this is when something you else. When a little kid, did you? This did you is, put them on your fingers? You, yeah. That's th- a, and this is something else. you by your parents for doing that? Mm-hmm. I, I yes. have never met anybody that did this with my, my, my mom did. Maybe you guys have heard of it, but we still do it. Uh, and it's the only family I ever knew that did this. So she, you, t- you take your celery, but you take cream cheese and you kind of whip it up, but you put green olives in it, like green cocktail, regular oh. green olives. And you chop up the green olives and you whip it in with the cream cheese and you use that as stuffing in the celery. And uh, uh, we're the only family I know that Ooh. does that but i love it because the Gosh, i think that i think it sounds good yeah. Really yeah. Do. yeah you got the sweet and a little bit of the bitter with with the olives and it's yeah. just good yeah it's yeah. good yeah strange it's another way to have olives i like that <laughs> very much <laughs> all right jill thank you so much for joining us where can people buy the cookbooks 
They can buy the cookbook right off of Amazon.com, or they can go to my website, which is, small case, all one word, JillCharlotte.com, because there's other books on there as well, including cookbooks and including the one that started the whole thing off, The Cowgirls Cookbook. Which I have right here so in my hand. this was a lot of fun. I wish both of you a very, very happy Thanksgiving. You too, Jill. And to everybody yes. listening, I hope it's a wonderful, peaceful day with not too many family arguments about what's on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jill. <laughs> I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Right, bye. Isn't it true, though, that we all have the family things that you grew up with, and then you marry somebody that had the different traditions, and you're trying to meld those two things? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's all in good fun, right? Like, it's definitely like... No, no. I will not eat yeah, the cranberry yeah. sauce with the yeah. chunks. I'm not yeah, eating the chunks. You did it again. Cream. What? <laughs> <laughs> My mom used to put mushrooms in the stuffing, too, and that was... Ugh. I just oh! couldn't do that. I'll tell you what I can't just... I just can't bring myself to do it is the giblet gravy. My mom yeah. and... I mean, that's... That's what I just can't. That's old school right it. there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, moms everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jennifer, it tell us gravy. about the shoulder yeah. relief cinch now that we're all hungry. Oh, one other thing, too, before we go on, <laughs> before we go out, get off of food, uh, AK Moss, I know you're probably listening because Joe was just on and they're friends. Uh, we have the finals for Equestrians Have Talent, and AK Moss, one of Jill's friends, is in the finals. So you need to go over to Equestrians Have Talent in the next two days by the end of the day, Thursday, to do your voting. The sound file's right there. You can just hit play at Equestrians Have Talent. You'll hear the last three entries, and you can vote on who you want to win Equestrians Have Talent. And one other thing, A.K. Moss, is uh, I am out of jerky, and I, that's the first jerky <laughs> I've eaten that I've really liked in a long time. Hint, hint. You still have my address. Thank you very much. All right. Go ahead, uh, Jennifer. <laughs> well, here you go. I can guarantee that you're going to love the Total Saddle Fit Shoulder Relief Cinch better than your great-grandma's giblet gr- gravy. And why? Because it creates a better saddle fit. That's right. The shoulder relief cinch actually changes the position and angle of the billets to prevent the saddle from tree from interfering with your horse's shoulders. He needs to use his shoulders to be athletic, people. The center of the cinch is also set forward to sit on the horse's natural girth groove, while the sides of the cinch are set back to meet the latigos two inches behind where the horse's natural girth groove lies. This brings the latigos from angling forward to becoming perpendicular to the ground, and that reduces the saddle's tendency to be pulled forward onto the shoulders. With horses that have shoulder interference without angled latigos, it simply moves the latigos back to keep the saddle away from the shoulder's angle of motion. And the secondary benefit, of course, is the cutback at the elbows. This gives more room for elbow movement as well and prevents galls in the elbow area. If you have a cinch that gets those little curly cues behind your horse's elbows, guess what? It's interfering with his elbows. It is made of top quality leather and has three different available completely removable and washable linings. You can get them in neoprene, felt, or fleece. So your horse has something soft and easy to deal with underneath. And if you have lots of horses like Tara does... You can get as many liners as you like. You can use the same cinch and just keep changing out the liners. So you always have a fresh, clean cinch for your horse. And you can find out more at totalsaddlefit.com. Do you notice, Jennifer, that a lot of my co-hosts have so many horses they can't count them? It seems to be a thing with my co-hosts. It's a thing. Yeah. It's a thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm falling behind and I'm not keeping up my end of the deal. 
Um, I'm happy about that, by the way. I'm, I'm glad that you're not really <laughs> keeping up your end of the deal. So that's fine. All right, let's do a song. Little Bren Hill with Breakaway Runaway. We'll be back. We have a couple of more guests coming up. We're going to be talking a little bit more about Snafflebit Futurities. And then we're going to talk about horse photography and how to do that better. All coming up on today's show. And this is Brianna with Bren Hill. Brianna, saddle up that pony and ride him one last time For the winds of change blow you away Ride him till you're out of your troubled mind And everything's gonna be okay I promise somebody hears the dreams you pray And cowgirls and are one in the same And if you're gonna be true You're gonna have to be strong And when you find yourself all alone Just whisper my name and hold on Hold on Brianna Somebody loves you more than you could ever dream And everything that she does, she does for you She can't stop the rising tide of trouble in your life But she'll do anything else that she can do
that's Brianna, and of course, that's Bren Hill. We did a special musical episode with him a while back, so if you go to horsesinthemorning.com and search Bren Hill, you'll hear the episode that, that we did with him. And I just saw an announcement come across Facebook yesterday that he is playing at a music festival somewhere here coming up. I, I don't remember where, so you can check out his website or his Facebook page under Bren Hill. Have you ever met him? I've never met him, but I've I've heard his music and I've read a few articles about him. So he's definitely like it's in my awareness for sure. Yeah, and I like his songs. Every time I hear, it, I go, oh, it's a nice song. Oh, that's that guy. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh-huh. it, yeah. he's from Texas too, isn't he? He's I think he's Texan. I'm trying to remember. Yes. Yeah, and there's I mean I'm not sure how familiar you are with it, but there's like this whole genre of Texas country. Right, so it's like the guys who aren't quite Nashville, and it has its own unique following. And this guy, oh, I, really? I sort of put him in that category. Yeah, like Pat Green and uh, Jack Ingram and Corey Morrow. They're sort of like this. They are sort of the beginnings of that. I don't know if they're the beginnings. I mean, Willie Nelson's probably the beginning. Yeah, but of that Texas Texas country type stuff. And so then some of them made it in Nashville, but they almost made it more in this Texas country type music. So. Well, and speaking of Charlie Daniels, he was a guest on Radiothon a couple of years ago. That's the 12-hour live event we put on at the holidays, and I think you're going to be stopping by, huh? Yes. Yes, so Radiothon, Radiothon's coming up. Tara, you got to get your guests ready. Got to get your big, big names. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll work on that. Yeah, you get to, you get to work on that. And do you remember yeah. what hour you're going to be? Let me see. It's well, You have to give me a second to look at okay. it, but... I, I, so what's what, for those that don't know that just listen to the Western episode, we do a 12-hour live Radiothon, holiday Radiothon. It's just for fun. It's the holidays. It's all Christmas. And and it's on Cyber Monday, which this year is November 27th. It's the Monday after Thanksgiving, actually. And we do that uh, to be our third year. Every hour, we have different hosts. So we have 20 different hosts all day long. We're doing a Western hour this year, and Tara's going to help lead that Western hour. Five o'clock. Uh, five o'clock. Five so, oh, o'clock. you're kicking off the evening, which means alcohol. Five o'clock somewhere. That's yeah. right, which means alcohol is encouraged. Um, yeah. And then I think you're followed up by horse husbands and then the author hour and then the last hour is just a wild party. So, yeah, we started the first Radiothon two years ago. And this is, by the way, quite a challenge because we have we have 20 to 30 mainline big-name guests from the horse world. We have, we have hundreds of callers that call in. We have tons of songs that are sung by our listeners that we play all day long. It's quite an undertaking to put it on. Uh, but we started our first one with Charlie Daniels, and I, I can't think of a better way to start <laughs> to do your yeah. first Radiothon than with Charlie Daniels. He was actually at a concert in Michigan or somewhere up north, and he 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 talked to us for like a half an hour about his horses and his ranch and how he spends Christmas, and that's what Radiothon's all about. So, Tara, thank you for agreeing to join us this year. Yes, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. It's all about the holidays. Well, your uh, well, your guest is not ready. I don't think. Yeah, oh. they're. Attempting oh, okay. to get her on the phone. Oh, they're attempting to get her on the phone? Okay, very yeah, good. Yeah, it's funny. Both both of my guests were like, so what number are they calling from? And I thought, well, I, I don't I don't know, but they're going <laughs> to... Oh, okay. So they, the only answer, I guess, if they know the, the number. <laughs> yeah, well, that is a problem we have on the shows all the time, actually. It is an issue. Well, while we're waiting for the guest, I can tell you a little bit about the Flex and Fork and the Shake and Fork. We were just down at uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom a couple of weeks ago. And they actually use the Flex and Fork. 
and the Shaken Fork. And how we know that, they, they're not endorsing them, but how we know that is we spied them at the barn. So the one <laughs> train you can take that takes you to the back of the property, the stables where they house all of the animals, including all of the exotic animals, is right there. And they're leaning against the wall where some flex and forks. And we have photographic evidence that uh, Disney uses flex and forks. We've been talking about the flex and, flex and fork and the shake and fork for six years now on the Horse Radio Network. It's the only thing Jennifer and I use. If you clean, I would say if you clean less than three stalls a day, you can get away with the flex and fork. But it is just the sturdiest uh, fork you're going to find. It has a built-in suspension system, so you don't get that flinging a poop into your face when you're out there cleaning. <laughs> and especially if you're doing the paddocks. Here in Florida, we have that grass that's kind of viney, and your fork gets stuck. And then when you pull it up, it's, all the poop comes in your face. We've all had that happen, let's be honest. That doesn't happen with the Flex and Fork because of the built-in suspension. So it really works well. These forks last a long time. Uh, we just retired our first Flex and Fork about... Oh, it was about a year ago. We had it for six years. Now, tell me, what manure fork do you buy at the at the feed store that lasts that long? None of them. The tines break in six months, right? I mean, that's what you got. You got six months on the tines. But if you clean more than three stalls a day, go for the shaken fork. It actually does half the work for you, saves half the bedding, and half the time. And it, it does. It has a trigger. It has batteries built in. It has a motor. And it actually shakes the head for you. So it really does work. It does save time. We've had professional stall cleaners tell us that it you literally will save half the bedding and half the time using the shaken fork. And you'll be half as tired at the end. So, so we. So I have a question yeah. for you. How does it hold up in the trailer? And do you use the the fine tip or the thicker tip? Well, that depends on your bedding. Okay, so and if you go to the website at equitymfg.com, you'll see that I'm he there. he has the a description about which bedding you use. So if okay. you use a finer like uh, sawdust bedding, then you're going to get the fine tines. If you get uh, if you use the shavings that are bigger. Then you're going to use the, the 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 wider tines. So it all depends on what kind of bedding you use. Now to clean up outside, if, like we do mostly paddocks, the horses aren't in a lot. So yeah. we use the the fine tine because we can. You know, it it works outside. Mm -hmm. But it all depends on on what your bedding is. And same with the shaken fork. And he has a couple of options, too, where you can buy the super-duper, you know, uh, handles, and there's just a couple of different options there. These are not cheap. These are not the cheapest forks you're going to buy, but they are going to pay for themselves very quickly because you won't be replacing them every 10 minutes. And we all know... What, what I'm talking about. The tines break in no time. Yeah. With the other I'm going to get one. We're you should. Try it. You should. Now, yeah, I highly I recommend even... you get a three-pack when you start. Um, <laughs> so They're really expensive. You should get three. You should get three. Exactly. Because you need one in the trailer, you need one in the barn, and you need one for a gift at Christmas, and that's coming up. It'll be the gift that keeps on giving all year long when somebody's using it. When somebody's shoveling manure, they'll be thinking of you. And who doesn't want that? Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> okay, equitymfg.com. Now I think your guest is ready. Very good. Well, good morning, Monica. Thank you for joining us. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well, thank you. So we talked a little bit this morning about rain cow horse events and snaffle bit and, uh, and how the snaffle bit futurity works, but 
And I told everyone that uh, you were one of the two females who made it to the top 25 to the open finals this year. So congratulations. You had a really stellar, stellar run up to then and, and during the finals as well. So thank you. You're welcome. So I wanted to ask this year, the, the Snafflebit Futurity was held in Fort Worth and normally it's held in Reno, Nevada. So what, what was different showing there in Fort Worth versus in Reno? Um, Fort Worth is a lot bigger. There's a lot more arenas. It's a lot more spread out. Um, the facility is, is great. I think it'll end up being a really good thing for the NRCHA. Um, Reno just seemed like everything was, you know, all the barns and everything were very close together and you could see everyone. Um, and they only had one show pin they could really run there as well. So in Fort Worth, they could actually run two show pins at once. Oh, that's nice. Was it harder? I mean, size-wise, how do they compare size-wise? The arena that you that you like, showed in. Uh, the size of the arena, that was a little bit different this year. The, the arenas were a little more oval-shaped, which can make it interesting to work a cow down the fence because uh, the the straight side of the wall is not nearly as long as when you have a, like a rectangle pin. Um, but it just added a whole new element to it. And, and it was fun to try to figure that out and to watch other people go down the fence and watch what the cows were doing. Yeah. Good. How do you, when you go in and, um, cause we're talking about how there's three events and the majority of listeners to the show are, are English lis- listeners, right? Glenn, is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking about how Ring Cow Horse in some ways is like the three-day eventing of the of the Western world. And so we were saying, well, we talked a little bit about cutting and what kind of things do you look for or whenever you're going to choose a cow that you want to try to select for your horse? Like, what does it depend on the horses or do you pick a cow, like the, a typical cow that or certain something that you look for all the time that you like or do you try to, what kind of things do you look for? Um, you definitely can pick it off of what your horse can handle. Um, if your horse is maybe a little less mature, <clears throat> you would pick something that looked a little bit softer. Maybe that would move away from your horse a little bit easier. If you've got one that you could really, you know, was really stingy and, and could handle it, you might try at least one of the cows to get something that's really moving that you can show your horse off on. Um, but yeah, some, you know, it depends on your draw to where you can pick the cow that you want. If you're, if you're later in the draw, you have a lot less cows to choose from because you want to try to get something that probably has not been worked yet we glenn was telling us earlier that when he realized that the cows and it's one person trying to get a cow to do these things and and figure eight it in the middle of a pen he said wait a minute wait a minute we had we had a cow out in the pasture and it took us like four hours all of us to get it out to get it to go where (laughs) we wanted to go (laughs) Uh, the fence work is definitely fun it can be very challenging for some um, reason, the thoroughbreds just weren't as cooperative as your quarter horses. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. Um, yeah, the, the cow horses, they, they are really bred to do that. They are just, they're quick-fitted and they're handy and they can, they can make a 360 turn going as fast as they can. And, and they're always looking for the cow and wanting to get back up to it. Um, so it's just, it's a really, really fun part of that is the fence work. So how did you get into Rain Cow Horse? What what started it all for you? 
Actually, when I went to college at Fresno State, there was a trainer there that was into it a little bit, and that was the first time I'd ever even heard of it. Um, so it, it just, I had always, like, loved more of a speed and a handiness kind of an event, and that just fit me, like, to a T. I just yeah. fell right in love with it. And where, who did you study with and um, learn from in order to, to get to the level that you're at today? I know plenty of it's from your own hard work and effort, but who's, who are some folks who've helped you along the way? Um, after Fresno State, I worked at the Ward Ranch for several years, and I learned a bunch there. Um, and then people like Ronnie Richards, he's in the Hall of Fame. Um, Randy Paul, Justin Wright, Todd Burke, there's all these guys. They are so willing to help. Um, they're just super individuals themselves. They're super talented at what they do. And they're great teachers. And they'll always, if you call them up, they'll always let you come over and, and watch you and help <clears throat> help learn what you need to learn and get better, even though you're in there competing against them. It's just a great crowd of people. That's one of the things, Glenn, we were talking about this morning is that they have the documentary out called Down the Fence, which which highlights the rain cow horse events and a few trainers that are in the event. And um, that's one of the things that you hear a lot of the time in the movie is just how everyone's like family and everyone helps one another. And it's a really unique competitive environment. And it's like, you know, everyone's competitive on the field or in the arena, but outside of it, it's a very different environment. So I, I haven't met anyone yet who hasn't reconfirmed that. So what, um, it, it's true. It's very much like that. And we're now one of the things is that I saw that uh, we had a guest on the show, Junie Fisher, and she sent a horse oh, to yeah. you or, or maybe has a horse in training with you. So I thought that was kind of a neat, a neat connection. And, and you also coach riders or, you know, non, non pros in rain cow horse events. Is that true? I do. I do. That's a very fun part of this job too is, helping those other people ride. It's a lot of ladies out here, but we all get along. We all help each other. I've got the best group of customers out here. They're What's super helpful. They love it. Are, are, What's some of, go ahead. I was just going to ask, are females getting, uh, you know, it's so funny for us on the English side because it's 90% women, right? Um, it's so dominated by women, yet uh, it hasn't been that way on the Western side. Do we see more and more females competing than we've ever seen in the past in, in disciplines that were normally male? Uh, there are a lot of women getting into it, even more in the open. Um, a lot non-professionally do. The the boxing classes have helped, I think, that a lot because they can start out in the boxing. They get so into it, and then they start wanting to go down the fence. They can get different horses, or if their horse is ha you know is capable of doing that, they just love it. So the classes keep getting bigger. The boxing classes are always big, but then it keeps putting more people in the down the fence classes too. And a lot of it is women. So one of the things that so tell us a little bit about what what boxing is. So the difference between a boxing class versus a down the fence class. So the boxing class, they're given 50 seconds and they'll get a cow put into the arena with them just as would a fence class. But instead of having to box it and take it down the fence and make the turns and circle in the middle of the arena, they are given 50 seconds to just show how they can handle the cow on the boxing. And it's, you know, they have to still rate, they have to control the cow, they have to drive the cow, but it's all just done on that short wall and it's, a, it's timed. Um, so it's all pretty fair. And it just gives them a step to see if they like it. It was designed to get people into it 
and and try to get them to want to participate in the down defense classes. Uh, there's enough classes there though now, and they do actually do aged events for the boxing classes also, and they're getting bigger every time too. So it's just it's become such a part of every association. And sometimes I feel like when, so in the boxing, you know, they, they bring the cow in on the, on the end of the arena and you, you basically try to keep it within the box and move it around. And a lot of times the cow will, will get by you. So you end up going down the fence sort of partially anyway to get it back down to the, to the end of the arena to do the box. Yes. So, so sometimes yes. it's, it's an intro to down the fence class, even though it's not meant to be. It is. <laughs> yeah, it is. Especially yeah. when we're practicing, it happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So what's some advice that you give, uh, people who are, who are new to the, new to the sport of ring cow horse? What's some of the advice that you're constantly given, non-pros either at the show or in practice or um a lot of it is just slow down and and especially on the cow stuff it's just to rate because i mean our horses can get cow fresh but the people always always get cow fresh um so just slow down let the horse work um you know everybody's riding pretty good horses anymore when when they come into this and just to kind of get in the right positions and, and let things work out and not get in a rush. Now, if, if somebody wants to do this and they're completely new, I know a lot of, uh, a lot of our listeners do write English, but they've tried cutting and that, you know, going to, to farms that open have, uh, you know, beginner clinics and things like that. Is that the best way to get started is to just go try it, look for a beginner clinic. Do they have beginner clinics for this? They do. There's a lot of people that do really good clinics. Um, and it is a good way. So you, you'd have to have a horse to, to go try it on. Um, but clinics are a good way. There's a lot of associations, uh, like here locally, we have a California cow horse association and they're super friendly to new people, um, boxing people and, and everybody's willing to help. There's a bunch of trainers around here locally that go to it and everybody's really good to go get lessons from. Um, so yeah, just, it's, it is a good way you can Clinics are just because there's, you know, it's kind of just a, a party almost. You can just go and hang out, watch everybody, <laughs> and know that you're not the only one out there that's maybe new, you know? People right. always like that. Um, yeah. So, Monica, can you tell us where where people, if they wanted to go and learn from you or learn more about you or watch you as you continue to succeed, where, where would they find information about you? Um, I do have a website. It's mcrainhorses.com. Um, I also have a Facebook page. That's Monica Catano Performance Horses. And it's it's spelled Catano, um, C-A-E-T-A-N-O. Yes. Yeah. Very good. And what and what about the horse that you showed in the snaffle bit this year? Can you tell us a little bit about about him? Um, he is a little stud colt. He's by Smart Little Pepinick, which I've done well on several of those. Um, he's very quick. He's very, very handy, and he really, really has a lot of cow. Um, so that that's helped us a bunch down the fence. He's just kind of a, a steady horse when it comes to rating and turning. He knows what to do, and he really likes it. Um, and he's just a pretty little stinker, too. Yeah, he is. He's flashy. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, when I hear quick and handy, I picture a face full of dirt. 
That's yeah. what I'm. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> That's what I picture. Sure, you gotta sit. You gotta sit back a little bit. Okay. All right. Good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> use use the horn on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you do. You definitely can. Yeah. See, our saddles are built a little bit better to keep us in. Too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> horn does come in handy on at times, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Monica, for taking time to to visit with us today and and help us learn more about uh, Rain Cow Horse and maybe some boxing classes and some ways to get started in 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 that specific discipline if you have an interest. So, good luck to you and and thank yeah. you again for taking time today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Monica. So, uh, so our next guest coming up, we're going to switch gears a little bit, aren't we? We are, yes, yeah. Laura, Laura Rogers, uh, she's a friend of ours. She runs a marketing company called Roger That Marketing. And one of the biggest things is I just asked Laura, you know, we're always trying to take nice pictures of horses. And, and Laura has come out a couple of times and taken pictures when we've uh, had some clinics here or done different events. And and I just said, well, what is it that you what is it that you look for when you take pictures of horses? And I thought, because, you know, just even if you want a nice picture of your own horse, not for marketing reasons, but just to have a nice picture of your horse, what what kind of things should you look for or what moments do you wait for? And um, anyway, so I asked Laura if she'd come on and share a little bit about what she looks for as a photographer when she's taking pictures of horses. And she's she's photographed all kinds from recreational horses to top-level performance horses. She actually uh, did a lot of the photography photography at that Snafflebit Futurity there. So anyway, she has a, a great range and a great eye, and I thought it would be great if we could hear some some info from her. So good morning, Laura. Good morning, Tara. How are you this morning? I'm good. Thank you for asking. How are you? Doing well, thanks. So I, I tried to How give... Saying, this is how y'all... Yeah. Yeah, that's right. We're Y'all are doing good. <laughs> so, Laura, uh, could you tell us a little bit about about how you got into learning how to take pictures for horses? And I mean, I know you're. Tell us a little bit about how you got into horses, and then how that sort of led to taking some pictures of horses and whatnot. Well, so I started riding horses before I could walk. I'm a fifth generation horse person in my family, um, and they are my deepest passion. Uh, so as time went on and a few years ago, my dad, um, decided in his retirement that he would take up photography and he's now a world-class exotic animal photographer and just being around dad and, and seeing what he was capturing with the camera. I thought, wow, you know, I could, I want to learn how to do this because I want to capture those moments uh, with the horses that my dad was capturing with the animals. And so basically I've learned, um, everything from my dad and I have so much more to learn. Um, but, uh, I learned, um, to shoot with a, a digital camera. And then, um, I've also been playing around with cell phones because that seems to be what everybody has on them all the time. And they're always taking pictures. And it's the biggest question I always get is, you know, okay, I don't have a really fancy camera like you do, so what are some of the things that I could do with my cell phone? And so I said, well, I better figure this out so I can answer those questions. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's uh, the, the photography just comes with the, the passion of the horses. I actually, uh, I really don't like photographing anything else. I don't like photographing people. Um, I do photograph other animals, but, uh, of course, the horses are the passion and, and where I get the biggest reward is, is in photographing them. 
So what kind of things do you like to capture when you're, let, let's say you've got somebody who's out, you know, just riding their horse, just sort of, I mean, what, what, what sort of things do you, do you look for when you decide to, to push the shutter button? So for me, I like to, whenever I'm hired to do a shoot, I usually like to get to the location early and just spend some one-on-one time with the horse and kind of get to know their personality and their mannerisms. Um, and then if the, if it is going to be a horse and rider situation, I like to see the two of them interact so I can kind of pick up on the cues that I need to know when to, you know, to, to take the photos. And from that point on, um, I just try to capture that relationship that I've picked up on when I get there early and spend a little time with the horse and rider. I also like to talk with the owner and, and find out, you know, about the horse and, and their mannerisms and temperament and if, and things like that, because that all plays into, um, my goal is always trying to capture the horse the way that you see your horse. And that's the biggest compliment for me is when owners come back and say, you captured my horse the way I see him. Everyone else is taking photos has not been able to do that. So that's always my goal is capture them because it's, you're the one wanting to preserve that memory and it's special to you. And so I try to capture uh, the horse and your experience with the horse, the way you feel it or you see it. Um, So by spending time with them before the photographs and kind of getting to know the horse and the rider, that helps me to capture that moment. And then in the performance horse industry, for example, you guys were just talking to a ring cow horse person. Um, I kind of learned, uh, learn about the event and what it takes to show in that event and what angles are important and where the horse needs to be in proportion to the cow when they're going down the fence and et cetera. And so I wait for that exact moment and, and, and try to capture that moment. Sometimes it turns out really good. And sometimes it, it, um, can be cannot look so good. You have a cow running over a horse that that doesn't look as good as it, you think it's going to uh, going into it. So uh, it's just a, a timing issue. And I always tell everyone, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, snap 500 pictures because you may get 10 good ones. And um, if you only if you just snap one here and there, you're going to miss a lot of good opportunities. Yeah, it's. I think that's one of the things that sometimes we take pictures of our of our friends and then, you know, you share them and it might like look really cool to you, but then, you know, as the more you start to maybe learn a specific discipline or something like that, just like all of us, will see a picture and we go, Oh, my hands weren't where they were supposed to be. Or, Oh, my feet weren't where they supposed to be. But especially when you start working with another animal and the picture is, is learning about the position of those things too. So that definitely, that definitely could be another added challenge or added layer to, to what it is you're trying to do. So what are some of the tips that you that you give people now when they say, well, what should I do to take better pictures with my phone? What kind of advice do you have for folks in that way? So the first, the biggest one, um, and the first one is always, you know, you need to find the light. Light is, uh, you know, the word photography means drawing with the light. So without enough light, your photos will be grainy. Um, horses don't tend to stand still. So we need ample light so that the camera can capture their movement. Uh, so I always tell everybody, you know, um, if you can photograph horses outdoors, uh, that would be my first choice is to photograph them out, outdoors. Put the sun behind you and the horse in front of you. So you capture colorful and sharp photos of them. 
Um, and if you wait just before sunset, uh, you'll get a really pretty golden glow to the light on the horses. Um, the second one I always tell people is to find a flattering angle. That can be kind of tricky with a cell phone because um, most cell phones uh, ha- are come with wide angle lenses. So they make near things larger and far things smaller. This means that when you photograph a horse straight on, you'll have a large head and a small body if you're uh, really close. So the easiest way to solve that problem is to turn your horse sideways. Uh, that way, the wide angle distortion will be at a minimum and your horse will look more like a horse and not a bobblehead giraffe. Um, <laughs> and then the third one is is kind of a common one, and it's it's one that people struggle with the most, and that's to get their ears up. And um, there's actually a photographer that developed an app, and it's, this is like my biggest um, coup secret that when I tell everybody, they, they just go blown away. There's a photographer that created an app called All Ears selfie and it works it is unbelievable it works great (laughs) yeah Yeah. yes and uh you can uh get that on any of the app stores and it is the best it helps because before i would have to have someone come with me and you know rattle a plastic bag and even that didn't always work like you wanted it to uh and this app is phenomenal and and, uh it makes the noises and they tend to look up and Every once in a while, it's kind of funny because they'll they'll whinny back at the phone noises. But um, it is uh, it's very helpful to have the the all ear selfie app uh, when you're photographing your horse. So those are my three biggest tips. I cannot believe a helps. real photographer just mentioned that app because we've been talking about that app on here forever, and a real photographer just mentioned it. Let me see if I can get it to go. There's one of them. Ooh, and here's another one. Yes. And I am not affiliated with them in any way, and I don't get any kickbacks other than just that <laughs> that is uh, when I tell people that they're so appreciative uh, because it works so well. It does work. Um, and I even use it. Yeah. I even use it when I'm using my professional camera. I'll, if I'm having problems getting the horse to ears up, I'll pull my phone out and play the noises so that I can get those ears up. So <laughs> That's funny. Well, <laughs> well I, I love thinking to... I want you to take a picture with your cell phone. I'm sorry. Go for it. When you're taking a picture with your cell phone, don't zoom in. Just take step back, take the picture, and then crop um, the image where you're close. Tell people why not to zoom in. What's the reason? Because it 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 distorts the image more with that with the camera already being um, having the the wide angle lens in it, and then you zoom in, it just makes it wider. So the best thing is to the horse will be more in proportion if you get back away from it, take it, and then and then crop it down. Mm, okay. Good to know. I like I like yeah. having tips to be able to take better pictures myself, but I also like what you said about taking pictures because if I did want to have someone come out and take pictures of me and my horse, I like the fact that you get there early and just take a little bit time to get to get to know the horse and the rider and that because, and you'll hear Laura talk about that. She'll say, Oh, this horse, I went to take pictures and she'll tell me all about like, Oh, and he was so funny. He was doing this or he was doing that. And I think that that is really unique that you have the ability to, to capture um, the personality of that horse or the, the characteristics of that horse. And what, what's something you told me the other day when we were talking about it, 
you sometimes photograph stallions and you were saying how people know them once they're in the show pen, but then once they start showing so much and they go into the breeding aspect, things change. And so can you tell me what, what you said to me earlier about, about that? The majority of the time we fall in love with, with animals, whether it be in the show arena or on the racetrack during their performance career. And that's, we, we see them compete and we see their grit and their determination and, and, and we have this love affair. And then when they retire and go to the breeding, we don't, they're not in front of us every day or they're not in front of us in the show arena. And so they kind of out of sight, out of mind. So one of the best examples uh, ever is Zanetta. The people that uh, own her have done a wonderful job of keeping her out in front of the public and, and, and keeping that love affair going. And they've done it through images, showing her personality, showing her with her offspring. And I do the same thing with the stallions that I photograph. I think we have enough um, confirmation photos of stallions. Uh, we can do one of those, but you can't take one of those over and over and over. They get boring and and there's no personality. You don't see, uh, the personality of that horse. So I try to go out and capture the horse, um, and their personality. Um, one of the horses, Johnny on the rocks, I think I sent you guys a photo. If you want to share it, you can. Um, I did a really nice photo shoot with him. And at the end, uh, they turned him loose in the arena and he got ready to roll. And I was just still taking pictures and we captured this awesome shot of him. And he is just this, when you see this horse, he just, he just screams. I'm this big, sexy Palomino barrel stallion. And that picture of him after he rolls and he, he looks up at me and gives me the sexy eyes, totally captured his personality. And that's been in all of his marketing material. And it's been a huge success. And because people just see that has that horse and it keeps that relationship going. And most of our decisions to breed are based number one on the horse's performance, but also it's a relationship by it's a heart. It's a feeling motivated decision. So we want to be sure to keep these horses, their personalities uh, out there and not just a confirmation shot. Cool. Well, yeah, I'll send those pictures to you and Jennifer so you guys can can share them okay. if you'd like. Well, Laura, good. thank you very much. We appreciate you coming on this morning, and uh, hopefully, we'll have some cool pictures to share after after we've all heeded your advice and used the app. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Thank you for having me on. Thank you, Laura. Yeah, so where would we find more info about you, Laura, and what you do? Well, sadly, I have my. Uh, page under construction my website under construction so um you can find me on facebook laura rogers with a d r-o-d-g-e-r-s um so that's the best way to find me all right thank, thank you, you laura. laura thank you have a good one bye-bye and where can we find you and what your husband does well we're at carterranchhorse.com that's the easiest way carterranchhorse.com that's simple that's yeah. uh, c-a-r-t-e-r carterranchhorse.com. Tomorrow, we'll have a best of show for you. And then we're coming to you live from Lexington, Kentucky at the Certified Horsemanship 
conference, their annual meeting. It's a big it's a big year for them. And I just got an email with all the lineup. They have like 12 guests lined up. So we'll be live from the hotel there at the conference in Lexington, Kentucky. Jennifer's in heaven because she gets to go watch uh, <laughs> sessions on how trainers train. Because, uh, of course, Certified Horsemanship Association is for trainers. So uh, she'll be having a blast there, I'm sure. And we'll be in Lexington most of the weekend. If, uh, if you're around, there's still openings. You can actually just walk in to the Certified Horsemanship Association conference as well. So you can you can check that out. If you're in loving raining, then you want to catch our 2018 WEG show at 2018WEGshow.com because we talk about raining as part of the World Equestrian Games. Tickets are on sale for the raining right now. So you can head over to, to that website for the World Equestrian Games and find the tickets for sale there. Well, thank you, Tara, once again for joining us. Thank you. We're going to let you go now. Enjoy your husband's birthday. We will. All right. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. 